It is uh, good to see Doug Pearson. We, uh, we go back uh, a ways, KCBT, and just a faithful man. It's good to see him and his wife, and always good to have them with us. Uh, it's good to see Sam and his family have some time away to catch their breath and, and rest and get refreshed and recharged and all of that good stuff. So really excited for them, looking forward to having them back with us. I was going to say, that was probably the nicest thing you said to me today. <laughs> so I'll give you the cliff notes of what he said to me earlier today. He basically said this. He said, I wouldn't wear these shoes. I wouldn't be caught dead in these. <laughs> right? And, that, and, that, and, that, and that's a lot. That's far. I think Brandon was in on that, too. Like, I don't get these guys, man. What's wrong? These are nice. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So, so you guys were wrong, period. No, it is really good to, to be here tonight. I'm so excited to just be able to open the Word of God and hear what the Holy Spirit would say to us tonight. Midtown is, is such an exciting church, is it not? Like, man, if, if this is home for you, you love this place. I love this place. Just the, the passion of MBT is one of my good friends in New Philly, Ohio, says so Midtown's got the soul. He's right. Midtown's got the soul, man. He's exactly right. But you know, over the years, I've been in a few conversations, and one of the questions that has emerged through those conversations consistently goes something like this. How do we not ruin this? I mean, those of us, I mean, those who are growing and dialed in spiritually, you know that God is at work here. There are some amazing, special things that are happening that only God can do. And we see it, and we recognize it, and we love it, but we've seen this movie before, haven't we? And some of us have seen the ending, which is not very kind. And so the question is, is how do we not blow this? How do we not ruin it? Well, I'll tell you what, the answer to that question actually comes from Uh, Many who are in this room tonight who represent the front lines of what's happening here. You're on the front lines of of moving the mission forward, moving this church forward, and so ultimately, you decide how we don't ruin this. I'm looking at the heart of MBT here tonight. And the answer is really this. Here's how we don't ruin it. Don't be a Quora. Don't be a Quora. Be finding Numbers chapter 16. Uh, The Quora heart attitude is always found at the center of fallen churches that once stood tall. And I'm telling you, if that heart attitude be found in the leadership here, Uh, Midtown Baptist Temple will one day read its spiritual obituary as well, if we have this heart. Look at it in verse 1, Numbers 16. Now Korah, the son of Izar, the son of Koath, the son of Levi, and Dathan and Abiram, the sons of Eliab and On, the son of Peleth, sons of Reuben, took men. 
Now, Korah was a Korathite Levite, and by lineage, he was the first cousin of Moses and Aaron. Dathan, Abiram, and On were Reubenites. Reuben was the firstborn, and technically, that tribe should have been a tribe of influence and authority, but that was forfeited because of sin. So that gives us some insight into where these men may have been in their thought process and their heart attitude at this time. We keep going in verse 2. And they rose up before Moses with certain of the children of Israel, 250 princes of the assembly, famous in the congregation, men of renown. So under Korah's leadership, 250 men of prominence are attempting to initiate a coup d'etat, an overthrow of the authority structure that stood before them. Now, it's vital to observe that neither Korah or these men, this is very, very critical, neither Korah or these men consulted God. They didn't. Starting with Korah, they were unhappy with the way things were going, and they were going to take it upon themselves to address it or deal with it. Leaders, I implore you now, I cannot tell you that that approach, at best, is foolish every time. It only endangers people and puts the ministry in jeopardy every time. This is how things get ruined. I don't like something, I don't agree with it, and so I'm going to take it upon myself to deal with it. But we get the heart of Korah's issue essentially in verse 3, and they gathered themselves together against Moses and against Aaron, and said unto them, ye take too much upon you, seeing all the congregation are holy, every one of them, and the Lord is among them. Wherefore then lift ye up yourselves above the congregation of the Lord. Now I am very happy to inform you right now that I do have the spiritual gift of interpretation. I do. I know many of you didn't know that, you know it now. So I am happy to tell you also that I have the ability to interpret the unique language of pride. Because that is the language that was being spoken here. It was the language of pride. I think some of us may be familiar with it. So let me interpret for you what they were saying. Moses and Aaron, you guys have too much power, control, and influence. You do. And we don't like it. You don't. We don't like it. This nation as a whole is sanctified. It's set apart unto God so these people can make their own offerings. They don't need you and Aaron to be a part of that and all of this stuff that we see. Not necessary. It's so interesting, though, that they accuse Moses and Aaron of lifting themselves up against or above the congregation of the Lord when that is exactly what, them, what they were doing themselves to Moses and Aaron. Uh, look at verse 2. And they rose up before Moses. Hypocrisy, boy, I tell you. 
You know, there was one who said in his heart, I will ascend into heaven. Uh, He also said, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. He went on to say, I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation. Do you see the heart attitude connection here with these men, where this was coming from? It's always interesting to me because hypocrisy is always the neighbor of pride. They always live next door to each other. Where you find one, you always find the other. Now, why was Korah and company so interested in Moses and Aaron's position in the ministry? They were so interested in it because it was what they coveted themselves. They wanted it. Please, once again, I implore you, I need you to listen because I'm talking to a lot of leaders tonight. Understand, the most dangerous leader at MBT is the leader who is thirsty for power, control, and influence. That is the leader that will keep you up at night. It should. The leader who says, I want power, I want control, and I want influence. That's a dangerous leader. That is the person, that is the type of person that will be a part of the process of bringing this place to the ground. They might appear to be an asset, but eventually they will be found to be a liability. Those types of leaders sow discord and they are intensely self-absorbed. They are intoxicated with themselves. Everything, all the time, every day, is about them. Now, how about this for a contrast? Look at verse 4. And when Moses heard it, he fell upon his face. See, that's exactly what those men didn't do. They didn't go to God. Moses did. And there's a lot we could say here, but here's what we need to think on. Moses understood that essentially what these men had done was they had declared war on God. We'll see that very clearly a little bit later. But you have to understand that God always hates those who sow discord among brethren. God hated this, and he hates it no less today. And so you want to be very careful whenever you embrace any type of agenda that even smells like discord. You don't want anything to do with that because that places you in a position with God that I promise you, you absolutely never want to be because God says, I hate that. But the stench of their arrogance, it still permeates right now, doesn't it? How could they have overlooked that God himself had called and appointed Moses to that very place? That God himself had established the Levitical priesthood that, I mean, could they really have missed what happened in Numbers 12 when Miriam and Aaron got the idea to go after Moses. Did they miss that? 
They think that God maybe changed his mind since that time and he was okay with this now. Please hear me. Starting with me. All of us, leaders, hear me. All of us must learn to manage proximity well. I am privileged to work very closely with Sam. Many of you work very closely with the pastors of this church. You're in ministry with them. You're side by side. You spend hours with them. In meetings, you spend hours with them. In the trenches of the work, you're close. But understand, proximity never gives you license to disregard their calling and appointment from God. Just because you're close doesn't mean you get to be disrespectful. Be careful. Korah was the first cousin of Moses and Aaron. He was close. Miriam was the older sister of Moses. She was close. Aaron, the older brother of Moses, he was close. But Moses was the man that God had placed over them. Moses essentially said, we'll let God sort this out in verses 5 to 7. But we continue the narrative in verse 8. And this is where we start to identify those core principles. Again, there are more. If we had time to exhaust them, we don't. But I think what God has for us tonight will suffice. But this is where we begin to identify the principles of safeguarding this great ministry that we have. What God has given us here is so very special. Here's how we protect it. Look at verse 8. And Moses said unto Korah, Here, I pray you, ye sons of Levi, seemeth it but a small thing unto you that the God of Israel have separated you from the congregation of Israel to bring you near to himself to do the service of the tabernacle of the Lord and to stand before the congregation to minister unto them? And he hath brought thee near to him, and all thy brethren, the sons of Levi, with thee, and seek ye the priesthood also? Ultimately, what Moses is trying to remind Korah of is found in Numbers 4.15. And when Aaron and his sons have made an end of covering the sanctuary, and all the vessels of the sanctuary, as the camp is to set forth, after that the sons of Kohath shall come to bear it. But they shall not touch an holy thing, lest they die. These things are the burden of the sons of Kohath and the tabernacle of the congregation. The Kohathite Levites had received the very special privilege from God of transporting the most holy thing of the tabernacle, or the most holy things of the tabernacle. That was no small thing. It was no light thing. It wasn't anything to look down on and go, oh, this is nothing. Are you kidding me? Far from it. But Korah wasn't satisfied with that. He wasn't. He wanted the priesthood himself. He wanted more. Understand. If we are to safeguard this great ministry here, listen, as leaders, we must be content with our lot in ministry. 
We must be content with our lot in ministry. Korah desired a more prominent role. And in a crowd this size, I am certain that's where some of you are. Some of you are struggling with this. You might view your current ministry role like the first remnant of Jews who came back from the exile and how they saw the temple. Consider Haggai 2 verse 3. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? And how do you see it now? Is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing? Outwardly, compared to Solomon's temple, this temple was inglorious. I mean, it's nothing. I mean, we all remember what Solomon's temple looked like, but this little rinky-dink thing here, I mean, uh, I need you to really lock in here. Understand, how we see the ministry we have received in the Lord reflects how we see the Lord. Be careful. If your view of what the Lord has given you is wrong, then how could your view of the Lord be right? They're not disconnected. And some foolishly, I do mean foolishly, some compare their lot in ministry to that of others, and this now tempts them with great insecurity and great insignificance. When I look at what I'm doing versus what so-and-so's doing, well, this is just nothing. Oh, be careful. You understand? Every week, every week, the attendance in Kaya is usually three times that of Life Fellowship. Every week. And it's been that way for years. So let's do the math on that. That means that Life Fellowship is nothing. That means that Kaya is everything and life is garbage. That thinking is as insane as it is immature. Listen, my goal, if you're in Life Fellowship, you should know this, but I'm going to say it again, or maybe I haven't said it directly, but I'm going to say it now. My goal is not to catch Kaya. Nor is my goal to build a massive class. Guess who that's about? That's about this guy right here making a name for himself. I have no interest in that. And by the way, I'm not competing with Brandon. Hear this. Competitive ministry cultures are breeding grounds for disunity and devouring in the church. 
When we start competing and we start comparing and we start trying to one-up each other and how big is what you're doing and how prominent is that versus mine, we're done. We're done. Now, I'm going to share an observation with you that I think you'd be wise to take heed to. Those who believe they are deserving of more are usually not ready for more. That's how that works. You say, how do you know that? Because God hasn't given you more. It's pretty obvious. Here's one of the things I have learned for those of you who have an appetite and an eye on numbers. You know what I've learned? More numbers just means more responsibility. (laughs) It just means more work. And I don't mean this in a bad way. It means more problems. Can you handle that? Can you lead that? Can you coordinate that? Can you provide the type of oversight and leadership that that demands? Be careful what you wish for. Let this be your heart. Colossians 4.17, I say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which thou hast received in the Lord, that thou fulfill it. Let that be your heart. Let that be your heart. Whenever you are fulfilling what the Lord has given you to do, you never have to concern yourself with what someone else is doing. If I am, if I am, if I am trying to make foolproof, if I am just focused on fulfilling what God has given me to do, I am not looking over my shoulder trying to figure out and compare who's where and how close are they and are they a threat to what I'm doing and are they going to take something from me? Forget about it. <laughs> Being preoccupied with that type of stuff only means this. You're distracted from what you should be doing. Verse 11. For which cause both thou and all thy company are gathered together against the Lord. And what is Aaron that ye murmur against him? Would you notice the verbiage? very, very carefully in verse 11. Who were they gathered together against? The Lord. I wonder how that's going to work out. This is what I'm saying. You want absolutely nothing to do with this type of thinking. You want to abhor this hard attitude. God forbid that I would have a thirst for a platform, for power, for influence, for control. And now I'm looking and scheming, trying to figure out who I've got to eliminate and get rid of so I can get it. Yeah, you've declared war on God when you go there. That's very Lucifer-like. And they gather to murmur against God's man. Listen, if we're going to safeguard this great ministry, 
We must be thankful for our lot in ministry. Just be thankful that God has given you something. Some of us have gone from knowing there was a point in our lives, right? There was a point in our walk where you knew, man, God can use me? Wow, okay. Man, Lord, okay, that's so great. I mean, praise God, Lord, that's wonderful. I, I can't do it without you, but, but Lord, I'm just so thankful to have a part. We've gone from that to, well, I belong here. Where's my platform? Where's my mic? Where's my attention? We're owed something now, and we're murmuring about it. Why wasn't I selected for that? Why are they always overlooking me? Why do they ask her to do this? Why do they put him in that position? What about me? Huh. When you start thinking like that, guess what you're not doing? You're not fulfilling what you have received in the Lord. Man, your mind, your heart is, you are, you have drifted. I love it. First Timothy 1, 2, Paul says, and I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Paul had a thankful disposition regarding the ministry, not an entitled one. God, I just thank you. You counted me faithful. You put me here. Thank you. All right, watching the time, verse 12. And Moses sent to call Dathan and Abiram and the sons of Eliab, which said, listen very carefully, we will not come up. Is it a small thing that thou hast brought us up out of a land that floweth with milk and honey to kill us in the wilderness, except thou make thyself altogether a prince over us? Moreover, thou hast not brought us into a land that floweth with milk and honey, or given us inheritance of fields and vineyards. Wilt thou put out the eyes of these men? We will not come up. Now, If you gloss over that, I'm sorry, but I will tell you, when I read those words, the Holy Spirit prompts a healthy biblical fear within me, because God forbid that I would ever think, speak, and behave that way under spiritual authority. We will not come up. We will not come up. They despised Moses' authority. They were governed and blinded by pride, which produced evil surmisings against Moses that were completely unfounded. And it led to a complete disregard for his place. If we are to safeguard this ministry, we must be humble in our lot of ministry. 
Be humble where you are. Be teachable. Be someone that your pastors say, man, I, I love leading you. You know why? Because you're just willing to follow. You don't fight. You don't kick back. You don't complain. You don't whine. You don't murmur. And anytime I talk about this, I know what some people are hearing. Oh, you just want yes men. No. No. But here's what I've learned. God is bigger than the imperfections of Sam Miles. He's bigger. So I don't have to stay up, and I don't, and I don't lose sleep about, and Sam is not a monster, God forbid, far from that. What I'm saying is, is I'm not focused on that. I understand who he is. I understand his place. And the last thing I ever want to do is be in the place that I am in, in a prideful way. I want Sam to go, man, praise the Lord. I know he's not perfect, but God, I just, I love that I get to lead Kenny. He doesn't fight with me and kick and he's difficult and he's complaining and he's whining and he's just hard to live with. Man, that would grieve God. Some of us have not learned this. Man, I love all of you, but I know some of you you're just difficult. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't have anybody in mind, I promise, but, but some are, you're just difficult. Like your pastor see you and they're like, oh, okay. <laughs> what is it today? The temperature not just right? They don't like my shoes. Point made. <laughs> Back to the subject at hand. Hear this. Only the prideful and arrogant believe they are owed or deserving of more. If you think you're owed more, you're deserving of more, you need a bigger ministry stage. That's pride and arrogance. And that is what will bring this great ministry down, our pride, that goes before destruction, doesn't it? And that's exactly how this ended for these guys with the rebellious heart. Look at verse 31 as I wrap it up. And it came to pass, as he had made an end of speaking, all these words that the ground clave asunder that was under them, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed them up, and their houses and all the men that appertained unto Korah and all their goods. Is God at work at Midtown? Yeah? God's doing an amazing thing. God is doing some great things. Amen. Is it asking too much that we all take a content, thankful, and humble disposition in our lot of ministry? Amen.